I had a high ambitious aim for this year to triple my income to me. And I thought, how in the world? I am not fit for it. And to confront the lack of fitness was upsetting. And I thought, I had a few moments of forget it. What were you thinking? I thought, no, do not move that target. How do I start studying and talking to people that can help me in the company? Hey, how can I reach that? How do I do that? I've never done it. And I would have been embarrassed in the past to do that. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, this episode is one in a series we call Where Are They Now? In this series, we revisit guests we've interviewed a few years earlier to find out what's happened since we last talked. Most of the interviews are with those who've completed our curriculum and have been practicing what we teach for some time. Here are some highlights from when we first spoke. Subjective versus objective. And I thought, okay, that got my attention because I thought I need some concrete goals. I needed something to work on and I needed to figure out the gaps, like what was wrong with me. And then I knew I was ambitious. I knew I wasn't lazy and a failure, but I couldn't articulate it. What I was doing was creating a lot of speaking and possibilities of being successful and working on my flaws. But then as far as being objective, I thought, you know, what does that really mean? And I thought, I've never really sat down and said, what do I need financially? What do I need for my income? I mean, I knew as far as goals for weight loss and such, but actually to have something concrete and then work on it and have an accountability structure. If I have an aim for six figures or whatever it may be, how am I going to do that? Instead of it just being a pie in the sky, okay, throw it on the wall, see if it sticks. And now you'll hear how they've continued to transact powerfully and thrive. Why do some quit while others bounce back? Chances are you've heard tales of Thomas Edison overcoming failure. Edison most famously invented the long-lasting practical electrical light bulb and is credited with developing devices for electrical power generation, mass communication, sound recording, and motion pictures. As a master of trial and error, these innovations have had a widespread impact on the modern industrialized world. When asked about the many thousands of failures he had when trying to create the light bulb, he famously said, quote, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work, end quote. Success is not for the faint of heart. Lofty goals are challenging to achieve and most won't reach them. But why do some quit while others bounce back? How do some muster up the resilience to try again when faced with failure? Maybe some people are not equipped with the constitution to handle failing, much less repetitive failure. Likely, most of us wouldn't stomach 10,000 failures in search of success. So how do we develop the resilience we'll require for our ambitions? Perhaps it's useful to consider resilience in a new light. What if it isn't an inherent trait or a behavioral characteristic? What if it isn't something fate happened to bestow upon us? Maybe there is something we've overlooked. What if resilience is not an individual trait, but to a greater extent, an environmental phenomenon? In today's episode, we'll hear Kim Corbett, a poster child for resilience, talk about how she's built a surplus of help to bounce back during challenging times. Here's the interview. First of all, for our listeners, if you would please introduce yourself, say your name, where you live, and all that good stuff. So I'm Kim Corbett. I live in Carmel, Indiana, which is a suburb of Indianapolis, Indiana. Hmm. And what do you do for a living? I work as a territory director for a diagnostic imaging company, the largest in the country. So we provide 
radiology services. I set up cancer programs and such in hospitals throughout Indiana and Kentucky. And then you have a son, age 22, Yes, right? Yes, Ryan. Very good. Yeah, very proud of and him. <laughs> good. And you're also a health enthusiast. I am. Yep. Good. Anything else we should know about? I want to get the full round of the character that is Kim Corbett here. <laughs> oh, let's see. I can't think of anything. Those are my okay, main good. areas. Yes. Okay. No worries. No worries. <laughs> so first of all, you and I had a great conversation on an earlier podcast and we wanted to invite you back. And we've had this kind of conversation also with several others, Marcus, Joan, Joni, Paul Adams, and the like. There'll be several more. And really the purpose of this conversation is to find out where are you now? You know, a lot has happened since we last talked mm-hmm. from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. And you've been studying with us from when did you start studying with us? 2012. 2012. Yes. So seven years ago. And when we last talked, you had, I think you had made some some moves. There were some accomplishments that you had noted. We talked a little bit about the, the whole world of selling. But where are you now? What's happening with you? Tell us, kind of take us to the end of your journey where here you are. You've been studying with us for seven years. What's happened? Wow. Well, from the last podcast, I'm still with the same company. So my goal within that company was to move into more of a a larger complex sales role. So I worked on developing my identity within the company and being well known by volunteering for projects. And I watched throughout the company for opportunities for growth. And I was last year promoted to a director level. Mm. So, um, I went, thank you. Thank you. Cause that is, that was quite an accomplishment. It took work. So I worked my way. I, in my last role became, cause they said, well, prove yourself. So I became number one in the company, one president award, won a trip to Turks and Caicos <laughs> from that took my, my son on that. But then I worked into this role where I now work with very large multi-million dollar contracts, which is, uh, that's what I love. I love mm-hmm. working with the hospitals. I work with very large academic teaching hospitals throughout Indiana and Kentucky. So I'm responsible for a large quota and retaining these multi-million dollar contracts. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so happy for you. I, I knew you way back when, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know you've been working with influence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really fantastic. Yeah, you should be so lot. proud of yourself. I am. I am because I think back where I didn't think it was possible ever. First of all, ever to even get in the six figure range, but then I thought, I really, I, I worked in diagnostic imaging for several years, and in our world, we call them modalities, and so. There's mammogram and x-ray and MRI. But when I started studying and learning about PET scans, I was so drawn to that. But the company I worked for previously didn't offer that. And everybody on my dad's side of the family had cancer. And I wanted to work in something where I could make a difference, but also make money because it was always the other way. I was always giving and just, I didn't think, I thought there's no way to marry the two. So for me to then look at working for the largest company in the country that offers it, but I subspecialize mainly in PET scans and then all of the new things that come out with cancer. So I educate the hospitals and the physicians and and encourage them to offer, you know, a lot of them are all focusing on building robust cancer programs. So I come in and help and partner with them. So it's pretty exciting. I, for the for the lay people, including myself, a PET scan is is for instance, if you have cancer and you want to see, has it spread to other parts of your body? So you need a cancer or if you are getting cancer treatment, is the cancer treatment working? So it's, yes. And they do some of the scans for brain. So there's some new things coming out with Alzheimer's where they're detecting signs of Alzheimer's in the brain. So it's a very precise test. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you in your early days, couldn't imagine both making a difference and making a good living. And now you do both. 
mm-hmm. uh, in the early days. What did you deal with about that? Do you remember? Oh, I I just thought I worked hard at fixing my personality. I thought there was a flaw. I thought I have to fix. There must be something wrong with me. I don't know how. And then I thought, well, if I just hoped and wished for it, that it would just turn out. And I knew, gotcha. though, deep down, I knew I was in trouble. So it created a high level of anxiety. Hmm. So I, in since studying with influence ecology, that's where I learned to do accurate thinking and think, okay, I have this skill set. Mm-hmm. I have this aim. How do I take it with what I already know with my education background? And then how much do I need to make? And then where do I want to work where I enjoy it? What do I want to do? And how do I put that all together? And it looked impossible, especially as I'm getting older. I didn't think I could. Some people told me it was impossible. They said, go and get married to a rich man and just hang it up. And I thought, no, it's not my, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So I found a way. I know. I hear that more often than you can imagine. I still hear it. Why are you working so hard? And I love what I do. So. It's oh, I'm having fun. God. I know. <laughs> That's a topic for another day. I know, exactly. <laughs> and so since 2012, you've doubled your income, mm-hmm. at least that and more, and, and uh, expected to do that again and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Really congratulations on all that you've accomplished. It's, Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind really of, uh, it's hard to believe. Sometimes I forget about it. And I had a friend within Influence Ecology that I'm close with, she had me step back and take a look at that recently and said, hey, I want you to just look at where you're at in comparison to the statistics in the country. You know, you're up there for your age, you're a single woman, you know, this is what you're doing. So it's important for me to reflect on that occasionally. It is, you know, there are, um, from time to time, I've gotten out the, I think it's the U.S., census on income or something like that. And, and there's a particular set of ranges that people can look at and get the truth about where you, where you are in that, those different levels of incomes. And um, I think many people that work with us are kind of surprised, like, oh, I'm kind of up there. Mm-hmm. I, that's, I'll take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it never seems like uh, for a while I thought, okay, is it, is it enough when I didn't measure it? Because a lot of people said, well, if you're going to spend your life just chasing that, what kind of quality? So that's why I'm not doing that now. I look at all the areas of my life. What does it mean to be satisfied? And then where do I, where do I say yes and no to? And then where am I going to focus? And Mm. that's what I've been doing, you know? And yeah. And then to see people in my life, like my parents who, they're starting to be a demand for satisfaction. You know, they're in, my dad's in his eighties, my mom late seventies, you know? And so for me, for, so it's getting on them, even my son, he's aiming to be high honors in college, you know, graduating next spring. It's been, that's been the bonus part of me studying here is watching them watch me and then how they're taking it on as themselves. So that's, that's exciting. One of the things that I'd love to talk to you about and, and get your thoughts about, because I think, I, you know, I know people, you and I, again, we've known each other for so long, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes there are people and I think of them and I think, oh, you know, studious or maybe somebody else. I think of them and I think, oh, they're hilarious. And when I think of you, I think of the word resilience mm-hmm. because you, you have you're resilient. You know, you bounce back. You aren't thrown by the, you know, everybody has peaks and valleys. You don't seem thrown by the, the valleys. I'm not saying that you're not bothered by them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You'd rather have just peak, 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 but you tend to be rather resilient Mm -hmm. around your own health around your money, mm-hmm. around what's happened, uh, you know, in the earlier days, around your, your own son's health, around mm-hmm. your moves. When I said earlier that you've moved around a bit, mm-hmm. I know that you did a little bit of moving, mm-hmm. some of which was not of your choice, mm-hmm. right? So you're just, you're like just this resilient woman. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to find out if you have any secrets to share with us about that. Something 
Kirkland pointed out is he said he watched how I related to things as they came up as it's another transaction. And I, it's not to say that I don't get upset and I'm not distracted and delayed, but I don't stay there. But I also, there was something you said early on in my study is you transact for help until you're satisfied. And the part for me that I've learned the most because I've been very independent and never asked for help in the past. What I've done since 2012 and I continue to do it at higher levels every year is ask for help. I don't spend a lot of time suffering. I don't, I, I get help and I get more help and I just continue to do that. And I, that's why I get through things, you know, and I have a study group that I've had now for a couple of years. We call each other beyond our study time and I get help from them. And I don't have a problem anymore, shame or embarrassment that I have a weakness that I have to ask for help. Mm. So that's, that has been the, the biggest impact for the resilience and bouncing back mm. and just, just doing what has to be done. I was going to ask you about that because you wrote in your notes something about you said it and I wrote it here. You know, you said you asked for help and, ask for help again and again mm-hmm. and, and again until you're satisfied. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think it's very brave. I think it's, it's, um, I, I would, as an inventor personality tend to want to look like I've got it going mm-hmm. on. I've got it all together. It took me a while to learn to ask for help. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I kind of, I've, I've never thought about that as a, maybe a key to resilience. Oh, yeah. Anything else you want to say about it? Yeah, because I think about it was late last year. I lost everything I owned to a flood. And I I was studying at the time. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm laughing now because it's like people are listening. People, if anybody's listening to this, went, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, I lost everything. Oh, yeah, I just lost everything to a fire. Oh, yeah, my house just, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, no, please continue. Oh yeah, and it's it's and what was I I started studying <clears throat> minimalism right before it happened. So I thought I didn't think I'd be impacted to lose so much. And I went to start replacing my belongings and I went to a furniture store and I froze. I could not even think straight. So I I went to my study group during one of our calls and I was embarrassed that I was in that state of mind and mood because I thought I should be able to have it all together. I'm strong. I'm confident. But I wasn't at the time. And so one of the people in my study group suggested hiring somebody and getting help. And I never would have thought of that. And it got me through. Not only did I replace, I went beyond what I ever imagined because I asked for the kind of help that I need. And then there's times that I ask for my health. You know, at my age, I feel like I'm 30. And I sometimes when I'm having problems with hormones or hair loss or whatever, you go to some physicians and they'll say, oh, it's just part of aging. And so for a while, I started accepting it. And then I thought, no, I'm going to decline that. And I went to another physician and another one and another one. And I got help until somebody said, you can still lose weight. You can still get your hair back. And so I was unstoppable until I, because I thought, all right, I want to live with vitality into my 100s. And I've recent, my goal this past January to mid-year for our conference coming up was to lose 10 pounds. And I did, which was going to be impossible. Thank you. And that all came from asking for help and keep asking for help. And i researched and studied help. And then I finally hired and and built a team that could help me with that. And now it's starting to pay off. I take, I learned stand up paddle boarding with my 22 year old son. And I, I did a 20 mile bike ride a couple weeks ago from, they did a night ride here in downtown Indy, 11 PM to one in the morning. I did 20 miles straight without stopping with 2,500 bikers. So now I'm like, wow, and I feel fantastic. And I need that kind of vitality to do the kind of work that I want to do and fulfill on my 
part of my work is legacy because I'm making sure these hospitals offer the top possibility for detecting cancer early. And some hospitals are, you know, so I need to have that and for the kind of money that I'm aiming to make. So I, it's part of my plan is to have a level of vitality. So mm-hmm. it's all fitting together. Now, for it to make the kind of impact that it that it could, do you mind saying your age? I'm 56. <laughs> That's fantastic. I know. Fantastic. And I went, I went kayaking. My son visited recently from college, so he stayed with me. And he's <clears throat> 22, and he's very, he's six two, handsome, very lean. And we went kayaking on it. There, it was windy. There were white caps on this lake. And we kayaked for about an hour and a half and he had to stop and rest. And I kept going because part of my plan, I do weight training, personal training two to four days a week. And, and I hate it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't, I'm not a fan of it, but it's part of, and I hired somebody to work with, you know, so yeah. it's paying off. And I work with 30 year olds who I'm passing them up even with work measures, you know, so I love it. And then also to be asked out on dates from 30 year olds, that kind of is fun, but I don't go that route, but it's still fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just to know you could. I know. Just yeah, know you could. I know. Yeah. That's a little added. Well, so 56 years old. So, so you bounce back from the flood. There's some other bounce backs. What are some of those other bounce backs? During, oh yeah, while the flood was going on, my son had a very high risk health issue. He was in ICU. He had blood clots above his heart. So that was life threatening. During while I, it was all around the same time. And I really Mm. didn't think I could make it through that. Watching your Mm. child, you know, they're, they're doing this drip in, in ICU, trying to break it up and the risk of it going to his brain or heart was high. And that's where I was determined watching that I was going to win that president's club trip and take him to Turks and Caicos. And I asked him, I'm like, I know, you know, I'm your mom, but would you want to go with me? And he said, yeah, you know, and so, and at the same time, he had a goal to be high honors in college. And so when he was sitting with the doctors and they were telling him the kind of surgery he needed to be able to live through all of this, he, he was like, I got to get back to my classes, you know? So he started transacting with the professors, you know, and he got back on track and he's going to do high honors, you know? So Mm -hmm. even with all of his health stuff, so it's been phenomenal. And even years ago, because I didn't know how to transact before I studied with you all, I spent years in court with his dad because we just, our personality types clash. So now the level of friendship that I have with his dad even is phenomenal, you know, and the kind of partnership that we have when my son graduated from high school. And I think, man, if I, if I would have known how to transact, I could have saved 16 years of being in court. I could have saved thousands of dollars. So mm-hmm. I, I really would love to see this in, in every level of education that people know how to transact. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. I'm imagining that some people might listen and think, oh my God, if I had her life, I'd be exhausted. But I don't think that's how it is for you. Mm -mm. I don't think 
you know, when we talk about all of these different conditions of life and for our audience, you know, just to say a moment about that, we're talking about being satisfied in, mm-hmm. in many different conditions of life. So while you're very satisfied with money and health, for example, you can't do that and then trash everything else. No, you know, you no, you. So there's a, a real balance that people mm-hmm. take care of here. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to say about all that? Oh yeah. I no longer accept even, even different friends that invite me to go places. I am very conscientious about my time and my rest and my downtime and my sleep. Some people might think I'm boring, <laughs> but I make sure to rest and I, I take care of myself. I nurture my relationships, even with my family who live in another state. I don't want people to misunderstand that being ambitious is like that type A personality where you're driven to exhaustion. And I don't, mm. I don't do that. So there's a complete mm. difference of that because I look at, I look at my sociality. When I even moved here, I knew, I didn't know many people in, in Indianapolis area. So I wanted girlfriend relationships. I knew the importance of the sociality. So I started a book club to meet girlfriends mm. immediately. And so I already have a connection of people here that I can call on, you know, so we study fun books and then now we're starting to explore nice restaurants in the area. I found a biking person, a friend, you know, so I, I'm very, I'm not exhausted now. Sometimes, I mean, I may get tired, but I mean, I don't, I'm not an exhausted, worn out, overdriven person. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. Back <laughs> <Heck> at you. <laughs> I'm so very proud of you. We've actually covered a lot of ground here because uh, I think resilience you know, sort of points to a variety of things. One of the things that you do as a specialization is to help poorly performing markets mm-hmm. produce record-breaking sales. Mm-hmm. So you help companies bounce back too. Mm-hmm. I do. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, for instance, I took over this market now for Indiana and Kentucky, and I'm responsible for not only retaining the market, but I also need to bring in a million dollars a year. So I take a look. I really love messes because I know how to take a step back, and I, I have the what we study, the judge personality. I take time to analyze, assess, talk to people. And then I look at what's the company's goal? What's my goal financially? And then I create a plan before any action is taken, where there's other people who will just get out and start doing the hard work. So I started this position the end of November last year. And then Mm -hmm. I moved here December 1st. And so I had a goal, a six-month goal, I had three pipeline development goals that I had to obtain. So I hit two of those three, but I exceeded the two of them. For instance, to have 2.5 million in the pipeline, I had 5 million. And to have Mm. three joint venture leads, which are substantial, multi-million dollar Mm. contracts, I had six. And for mm. third quarter, I'm probably going to close five million, and my mm. annual is a million. So I don't just do it in a hopeful space. I do it. I first of all look in who has to be taken care of, and that's always what I've done. Like coming from the level of we call it in influence ecology, customer intimacy. That's what I do. I look at how to what customer relationships need the attention immediately. And so I'm working right now on saving a, out of, out of Indiana right now, it's 2.9 million. We're at risk of losing 2.5 million and I'm pretty close to saving. And it looks impossible to the company because people with the odds we're against it normally doesn't happen. So mm. And again, talking about the resiliency and if people are thinking I'm exhausted, I really manage 
I, I know what it, because my thing was, is how do I stay a high level vitality and energy in a high stress environment of work where there's pressure? If I lose $2.5 million, 13 people lose their job. You can imagine the pressure. <laughs> I yeah. know what it feels like. I, I know what my blood pressure feels like. I measure it. So I know what it feels like if it's rising to avoid it going high. I will stop and take walks. I will take a day off if I feel like I can't even. I mean, I am so, my health and well-being is number one that I focus on that. Now, I still have room. I still, I, I'm studying people in the company who seem to have that figured out. And I'll ask them, what are your routines? And some of them go mm. to bed by 930. They never miss a day of exercise, especially cardio. They start their day. You know, some of them meditate. So I'm, I'm studying the practices of people who are well. Cause when my son got sick, I thought, I, I didn't feel well. And I thought, okay, I need to find people who I talked to people who lost their children, who had similar things. How are you staying healthy? How are you staying focused? Because there's other people that I still have to take care of, like my parents and my job. So that I would never have done that level of attention without knowing what I know with my aims. Mm. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. Oh, I'm just studying resilience. And like I said, I was, I was very interested in talking to you. One of the things that we're dealing with this year, as you know, is this is the year of ambition. And because this is the year of ambition for influence ecology, many people started out the year with an ambitious aim. And by that, it, it's an aim that is difficult to achieve. So ultimately, when people start out looking at that aim, that's difficult to achieve. They start out, they're not fit for it. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to do it. They don't have the help to get it done. If they did, they'd be doing it. So there's something that people begin to confront about moving towards that aim. And I have seen you on many membership calls or, or webinars where we've been in conversations about that. But we're headed towards, in the latter part of the year, one of the topics will be resilience. And your life is a study in resilience, as far as I'm concerned, and, mm -hmm. and from people's health and well-being to what you need to do, must do, have to do, if you're going to be up to big things, mm -hmm. the, the degree to which your health is numero uno. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a fantastic lesson for anybody, mm -hmm. but also the degree to which you just ask for help and ask for help and ask for help until you find something that really does work for you and help you satisfy those particular aims. So mm -hmm. I think we should just put you up as a poster child for this. And, <laughs> and just, you know, we'll just, have, we'll just have a, all right, today's <laughs> webinar is with Kim Corbett, because it really is something that if we could all be a little bit more resilient, we could all reach it a little higher, but, but not exhaust ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that, that right there is the key because I watched too, there were several people within my company that died because they just, they didn't take care of themselves. They pushed it. It is a, it's a high pressure. You know, when you're working with anything to deal with healthcare and cancer and the equipment and all the changes in healthcare, I love the industry and I don't want to leave it. So I thought, and I had a high ambitious aim for this year to triple my income to me. And I thought, how in the world? I am not fit for it. And to confront the lack of fitness was upsetting. And I thought, I had a few moments of, forget it. What were you thinking? I thought, no, do not move that target. How do I start studying and talking to people that can help me in the company? Hey, how can I reach that? How do I do that? I've never done it. And I would have been embarrassed in the past to do that. You know, plus... Companies usually just say, here's where we expect you to go. And nobody goes and says, well, they say, all right, well, that's our target. But what if I want to make this much? How do I do it? And I, I learned somebody else surpassed that. So I, I listened during our different sales meetings of how did people, it is possible. It may not happen this year by my deadline, but I'm not moving it, you know, just like my weight loss. I've been working on that for a while and I didn't move my, my aim for it. You know, it's great. Mm -hmm. It's really great.
Last thing I want to ask you about is you say in your notes that uh, it's now clear more than ever that you become who you hang out with. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. I, I've preached that to my son since he was little, you know, that mm. you, you really do become who you hang out with. And I've had my eye on this team that I work with now, and I was intimidated by them. And I, it seemed like in my past, I always, I was always on the, the top where the cream rises. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not learning anything. And then I realized, oh, mm. because I didn't put myself out there for more challenging environments because it's hard. Yes. It's embarrassing because I don't like making mistakes publicly and flailing at the beginning. And I'm doing that a lot. It's very humbling. So I needed with influence ecology, I have people at every, from all walks of life from around the world that it's almost like I, I don't have that anywhere else where I have other ambitious people with their health, with their money, with their legacy, with their family relationships, with intimate relationships. And even now, as I move trying to find new friends, there's, it's surprising now, especially in my fifties and I'm looking to date, how many people are in their space in their head that they think they're disappointed by how life turned out. They're divorced. They paid child support, alimony. These men now have to rent. They don't have a home. And so they gave up. So they're depressed. They're drinking. They're overweight but they're not putting themselves in an environment where they can reinvent themselves. And that's where I want the world to get that. If you put yourself in a place, just like I interviewed a lot of personal trainers in gyms because I knew I had to go two to four times a week and that person better be walking the talk because it's going to get on me. So I, I mean, I interviewed a lot before I even came to Indy and I found a woman who's in her 50s, rocks it in a bikini. She lives and eats very healthy. She's mentally and spiritually healthy. And I'm with her two to four times a week, you know, and we laugh a lot, but it's, I I figure I'm going to become what I hang out with, you know. And if I hung out, I know because I used to hang out with people who love to go and eat, you know, an eight course meal and eat, you know, a cake for dessert. And I liked it because then I had the permission almost. Well, I can't do that for my, my health. I would love to, but I can't. So I know that was a long answer as well. No, no, they're fantastic <laughs> answers and Good. examples. Good. You, you are not, you're not a long winded. <laughs> I don't accuse you of being long winded. Okay, good. You're a storyteller with, uh, with some very good examples. Well, I think that we've covered most of what you've offered in some of your notes here. I, I just wanted to find out before we end this today, is there anything else you would like to say or share? Well, just I know on other podcasts, because I listen to them all, I love them. <laughs> I travel a lot and it's great listening content. But you ask sometimes on the soapbox and I was thinking about that. Yeah. And I really, I I just want people to the exercise of asking for help and asking for help and keep asking for help. I don't care what age you are, where you're at, you don't know everything and that it's not too late to reinvent, you know, just because life didn't turn out how you expected. And there's still some level of satisfaction and legacy for somebody, no matter what they did, you know, but you need help and you need the, environment of people (laughs) to surround yourself so i just i would love for that to get out to people in the world and kim you've never occurred to me as somebody who's too proud to ask for that help is that true is would you say that that's true or have you just learned to sort of mitigate your own pride no i learned here in this study because i didn't want to ask for help I was always a bubbly Doris Day kind of, you know, Kesara positive. It's all good. Yeah, and people. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm awesome. Yeah, and and if I was <laughs> sad, people are like, "No, you can't be." I couldn't even tell people if I was suffering because they didn't know how to be with it. They're like, "You always have it figured out. You got it together." 
So I couldn't, I would try to ask for help and it didn't even resonate with people that, Hey, she's her, her ship is sinking, you know? So it took something for me to, at the beginning, I had to ask for help a lot before people could even hear it. And then, Mm. then I was more of demanding and a command for help because I didn't want to waste. Now I don't waste time. I don't even, it's getting to be such a muscle, like in this new position. I, I, you know, you, I work remotely and we're all throughout the country and there's people, everybody's busy. So there's times I'd call and I couldn't, I would call 12 people until I got the answer because I'm dealing with, you know, $2 million contracts and I've got, you know, language that has to be correct. And I have somebody possibly not following legal healthcare guidelines. So I don't waste time now. I, I get on the phone and I'm, I am nonstop. And I even reach out to people at night. I've learned, you know, do they respond by text or phone call or I'll do all three. And then I get compliance. I don't, I don't, that's why I, everything's moving faster for me is because of that. That's great. All right. Well, Kim Corbett, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank I you. can't wait to share this with the world. Thank you. It's been an honor and lots of fun as usual. In this episode, we'll hear a segment of a webinar led by Vice President Drew Knowles and me about autonomy. We'll hear how having a surplus of help allows us to be less impacted by the inevitable threats that will come our way. Here's the talk. Here's what autonomy is all about. It's a condition where you have more help than you require not one where you'll be able to act alone as you see fit without the need of others. It's the opposite of that. It's a surplus of help. It's demonstrated when you start to see autonomy, and many of you will begin to see this a lot more out of your study with infant psychology, when you're bumping up with people out there, you'll see that It's demonstrated by those who have their invitations, offers, and requests met quickly and low cost. I'm going to keep expanding on this for a moment to start to have you confront and see and inquire further into, like, well, what does that look like? What does having more help than you require look like a surplus of help? And how do you actually get that? We have this really well-thought-out step that John and Kirkland came up with called Build and Expand Your Influence, Ecologies, and Cooperation. Power in the marketplace is determined by your ability to get things done. Now, that takes the cooperation of many people who comply with your invitations, offers, and requests. Now, cooperation requires coexistence. Coming back to what we were just saying of relying on yourself and not depending on anyone else, you are not going to create any cooperation because cooperation happens with others in reciprocal relationships. So if you start to get your head around what build and expand your influence, ecologies and cooperation means, it really starts with how much cooperation do I have? How many reciprocal relationships do I have where if I made some kind of invitation or offer or request that would get accepted and somebody else, not me, somebody else would coordinate some kind of action or work to get a thing done that helps me meet my aims. And when you're building and expanding your influence ecologies and cooperation, we're not talking about networking. It's not to say that if you go to some kind of networking event or you're doing the activity they call networking, you know, the market out there has this name called, I'm going to do some networking the pitfall people can fall into is they, I talk about it like this, if you can imagine a dartboard 
and grabbing a handful of darts and throwing them all at the dartboard from quite far away, maybe 20 or 30 feet away, and hoping that one of those darts hits the bullseye. It might not, which is, I've been to those network meetings, John, and hoping that I could hit the bullseye if I gave out enough business cards, and it was a useless waste of three hours of my time. In fact, a whole lot of other people just wanted to get me to take on their business. How about if you really thought out some very specific series of exchanges that needed to take place with some specific individuals that if you had some sort of invitation or offer request accepted by that individual, that exchange could move things forward for you to meet your aims in a very, very powerful way. That takes some time to slow down, to really think through what would I need to do to get into that center of influence. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But I love this quote here, John. No individual has sufficient experience, education, native ability, and knowledge to ensure the accumulation of a great fortune without the cooperation of other people. What kind of other people? Well, hopefully a center of influence. Hey, before we go to center of influence, I want to just back up for just a second because, Drew, one of the things that you've done such a great job in distinguishing for people here at Influence Ecology is you often talk about having a surplus. Mm. And so an example might be that you have a surplus of health, health, fitness. And if you have a surplus of health, then what that means is that you're able to manage the threats to your health in ways that someone who does not have a surplus of health does. So you're able to manage the threats in, in a different way. When you have a surplus of something in any condition of life, then you're not threatened in the same way that other people are. So if you have a surplus of money, you're not threatened in the same way that other people are. And so one of the ways that we'd like for you to think about a surplus of help, help, H-E-L-P, is as something that is available to you to produce autonomy. One of the things that I don't think that we often do is make the connection between autonomy and a surplus of help. And I just want to take a second and create that connection because many people imagine autonomy as that condition where they they can do what they want and have what they want, live as they want, and so forth and so on. But no one ever says how you get there. (laughs) how how you get to a condition where you have the freedom to act as you'd like is because you've removed all threat. And how you remove all threat is you have a surplus in every condition of life. You have a surplus of help. So when there's a breakdown around money, you're not threatened. When you have a breakdown in your career, no problem. I've got a surplus. When you have a breakdown in a relationship, no problem. I have a surplus. You have a surplus in those conditions of life. So autonomy is about having a surplus of help. And, well, I'll just say the same thing again. So, Drew, I wanted to, I wanted to make that, you know, connect those dots for just a moment. So anything you want to say to add to that? Yep, two things. It, it requires you to, to take some time to really think about and sit down and, and look, what would that what would that look like for you having a surplus of help, having, you know, just taking the condition of life health, for example, who do you need? Basically you use this term in America, but it's like, who do you need in your Rolodex or your address book or your iPhone or whatever it might be where if just about anything comes along that challenges your health or the health of someone that's very close to you, do you have some very, very professional and successful and specialized people that you can call upon to stave off any threat to your health or people that can actually call you on if you're not acting as you should regarding your health? And in the domain of money, like you said, John, do you have 
professionals and people that that are guiding you and that it's like all you need to do is follow their advice and do what they say and you're going to be well taken care of with your money and I could go on and on and one example I, I, I love John as a friend of both yours and mine and works in, in the government and some media and press came out about them that was inaccurate and before he could even try and do anything about it to, to decline or anything, the community that, that this person had produced so much value in of his help rose up and basically declined it on his behalf. That is what I would call a surplus of career, of identity. It's very it's and, a great example. And I'm not saying this person, maybe now they would, because they really understand career, but I don't think they would have been diligently working on having that surplus of people in, in such a conscious way that if something came along like that, it would stave off that threat. But, but you can do that now that you know, and you can do it consciously. And this, the last thing I think, John, was this doesn't happen haphazardly. It's not just it's not just going to happen if you run around uh, transacting, you know, as, as as well as you can. It's you've got to think it out. You've got to spend some time and look. Who do you need in your ecology? And and John, that'll lead into our next conversation. My special thanks to our guest, Kim Corbett. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with her and all the links to websites, books, or downloads mentioned in this podcast. The Influence Ecology Podcast is produced by Influence Ecology LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded July 16th of 2019 and was produced by Tyson Crandall and me, John Patterson. You can find a transcript for this and other episodes at influenceecology.com. This episode is made possible through the assistance of the Influence Ecology faculty, staff, mentors, and students around the world. Co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and our colleagues comprise an international collective of professionals who are active in the development of the philosophy of transactionalism and the discipline of transactional competence. Kirkland is considered a leading philosopher and authority in the field and has authored more than 500 papers on the subject, study, and discipline. This episode includes contributions by Carol Gregory. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring, entitled Fast Train to Everywhere. You can subscribe to the Influence Ecology podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at influenceecology.com. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know.